The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. And we are back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late, but we got a really exciting show lined up for everyone tonight. A little bit of uh, quick news. You can subscribe to the West of the Rockies podcast on Amazon Music. You can head on over, look us up, and you'll be able to subscribe and uh, tell Alexa to play us or something. Uh, Should be fun. And as always, we will continue to be available here on uh, YouTube. If you're catching the uh, podcast version of the show, that's uh, youtube.com forward slash WOTR radio. Go ahead and click subscribe, click the bell to be notified when our interviews are posted. We're also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. You just got to search West of the Rockies, WOTR Radio, and uh, we should be popping up there. The topic for tonight's show is something that I've been fascinated with for a long time now, and that's the uh, topic of uh, dimethyltryptamine. Most people know it as DMT, and I'm really excited for the guest that is joining us tonight. He's Dr. Andrew Gallimore. I first came across him and his work a few months ago when interviewing speakers that would be uh, attending the uh, Contact in the Desert conference this past summer. And I was really tempted to uh, get him on the show then. But when I read the title of his book, I knew that I wanted to read the book first to really be able to dive in and discuss this topic. Now, his book is really fascinating. I almost see it as uh, having two parts. The first part deals with all the science and biology, if you will, how our brain functions, how our brain creates the reality that we experience in our daily lives. And the second half, it's all about how DMT changes the brain. What happens? How our brain processes this substance and takes us to these other worlds where many, many people come in contact with alien entities, if I may use the term. The title of his book is Alien Information Theory, Psychedelic Drug Technologies, and the Cosmic Game. So with a title like that, I'm sure you can understand why I waited to uh, have him on the show tonight. And I'm really excited that he's here because we're going to talk about his book. Uh, We're going to discuss what is DMT, what happens when people take DMT, what are these entities, these worlds, how real are they? Are they just in our mind? Or is this a real, actual place that people go to? What effects does it have on our brain? How does our brain process DMT and what happens? We're going to talk about this and a whole lot more 
But first, let me read a little bit of Dr. Gallimore's bio. Dr. Andrew Gallimore is a computational neurobiologist, pharmacologist, chemist, and writer who has been interested in the neural basis of psychedelic drug action for many years. His current interests focus on DMT as a tool for gaining access to extra-dimensional realities and how this remarkable drug can be used to establish stable communication with alien intelligences beyond this universe. He is a well-known writer and speaker on the powerful psychedelic drug and N-dimethyltryptamine, DMT, and the author of the book Alien Information Theory, Psychedelic Drug Technologies and the Cosmic Game, which came out in April 2019. He recently collaborated with DMT pioneer Dr. Rick Strassman to develop a target-controlled intravenous infusion protocol for extended journeys in DMT space. Dr. Gallimore is currently based at Okinawa Institute of Science and Technology in Japan, and I am really excited to have him on the show tonight. Please help me welcome Dr. Andrew Gallimore to West of the Rockies. Andrew, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. I, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on. I first heard about you during the uh, promos for the uh, Contact in the Desert conference. I saw that you were a speaker there. And the reason why I didn't interview you then is because I really wanted to read this book. I didn't, you know, just want to like jump into the topic, even though it's something that I like to think I'm fairly familiar with. But I definitely wanted to take some time to, to go through it and really dive in. So I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and, and to go through it tonight. You're welcome. Good to be here. Now, if I were to make like a trilogy, right, like a must-read list for people, there are three books that I would suggest. One would be Graham Hancock's Supernatural, because uh-huh. to me that was kind of, he kind of gives you like the history of psychedelics and how they've shaped humanity. Rick Strassman, of course, EMT and the Spirit Molecule. Um, I hope because- I have to be number three now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for this surprise. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, Strassman's book, I felt like uh, th- you kind of got to read like the, the practical application of DMT, like what happens and what people experience. And your book is definitely, yeah, get ready for this. Bum, 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 bum. Um, <laughs> uh, alien information theory, because I really feel this is almost like the science behind DMT. When you set out to write this book, what was your goal? Well, I'd been thinking about and sort of studying DMT for, oh, uh, sort of 20 years before I, I kind of began writing the book. But the book is kind of a culmination of all of that thinking over time and trying to work out and writing about and thinking about DMT and what's actually going on in the brain. You know, how is it possible that this simple plant alkaloid can kind of uh, instantaneously um, transport you to this bizarre hyper-technological alien, alien reality. And, and, and my, the aim of the book was to kind of um, create what I call a kind of a vision of reality. It's like a, this is how it could be. This is based upon everything I've thought about over the preceding 20, 20 years. 
this is kind of my vision of what actually is happening with DMT uh, when it enters the brain. How does it actually cause the brain to suddenly be able to perceive and, in fact, become immersed within this entirely new, completely novel, but crystalline, clear, um, complex reality filled with intelligent entities? You know, where did that reality come from? How does it relate to our reality? So I'm trying to create a kind of a, a coherent narrative, if you like, um, to how this might work. It's not a, it's not a worldview. It's not a, it's not a kind of a Bible of DMT. I'm not claiming to have discovered the ultimate truth about what DMT is and how it works, but it's just my, uh, my take, if you like, on, on what, what DMT is, how it works, where it comes from, what it's, it's kind of ultimate meaning. Where is DMT found for the people that don't know? Uh, everywhere. It's the one word answer to that. It's mainly found in, certainly in high concentrations, in plants, in a variety of plants. Now, um, um, the number of plants that contain DMT is numbers probably in the thousands, tens of thousands, but there are a certain number of plants that contain very high concentrations of DMT. So, for example, Mimosa hostilis is the kind of go-to source of, uh, of DMT, its root bark contains very high concentrations of DMT. And then uh, there are other kind of related plants as well. Uh, in animals, it's also found, but generally it's, it's been detected in really quite very low concentrations. So, so mainly it's plants. But, but if you look out your window now, you can probably see half a dozen plants that contain at least some concentration of DMT. In your book, you mentioned the, the big four of psychedelics, you know, LSD... Mm -hmm. Psilocybin, also known as the magic mushrooms, yeah. mescaline, uh, which I first heard about through uh, Hunter S. Thompson's writing, <laughs> and, uh, right. and uh, dimethyltryptamine, right, DMT. Yeah. What sets DMT apart from the other three? Uh, well, a number of things. I mean, DMT is kind of this weird um, molecule, both from a number of perspectives, because first of all, it, it's um, the most efficient and cleanest tool that we have for uh, transportation or switching of the brain's reality channel um, from what we normally call the kind of what consensus world, the normal waking world, into this other bizarre uh, DMT reality. Um, no other drug does that as cleanly. What I normally say, is it's like, kind of like um, an, one of those old radio sets where you have the, the dial and you, you kind of twist the dial between channels. Um, normally, the dial is, is set at what we might call channel consensus reality, the normal waking world reality, that channel. What psychedelics do, LSD at normal doses, psilocybin, mescaline at kind of regular doses, things start to be a bit different at higher doses, but normal doses that people use, it's kind of like twisting that dial slightly out of tune. You're creating a, an alternate version of the normal waking world, the world becomes more fluid, less predictable, more dynamic, um, more meaningful, all of these things, all the, the characteristics of a psychedelic state. Whereas with DMT, it's as if you twisted the, the tuning dial even further and you found an entirely new channel, basically. So you're not creating a, an alternate version of this reality. It's like you're switching to a completely different, you've switched 
Terence McKenna used to call it a 100% reality channel switch, and that's kind of what sets DMT apart. So that's kind of, in terms of its effects, that's what sets DMT apart. Uh, But also it has these bizarre, well, not necessarily bizarre, but kind of unique uh, pharmacological peculiarities, and it's very fast-acting. Uh, it gets into the brain very, very quickly. It's cleared from the brain in a few minutes, which is why it only lasts for a few minutes. Um, so the brain is very at home and very comfortable with DMT. It knows how to deal with it. Uh, and also it doesn't exhibit what's called subjective tolerance. So you can inject someone with DMT closely spaced dose every 15 minutes or so. And even with the same dose, they will have the same intensity of experience. Whereas with the other psychedelics, um, if you try to repeat dose, you tend to get diminishing returns over, over time. So it, it, it's kind of a, a curious molecule uh, in that it, it almost feels like, using this term very, very guardedly, uh, it feels like it's almost like it's designed. It's like a technology that's designed to switch your brain's reality channel. So you speak about our brain being able to create our reality without psychedelics, you know, our real 3D everyday reality, if you will. And with some psychedelics, we create certain types of realities. But when on DMT, you suggest that our brain becomes an antenna of sorts and it can tune to our reality that's out there, quote unquote. Is that about right? So basically, if, if a, the brain constructs your reality under all circumstances, that's the key point. So if you, you know, in, even in your normal waking life, when you're presumably in the real world, your brain is still constructing your reality. What happens is that your brain constructs a model of the outside world, um, and that model is kind of modulated or tested against information that's received from the outside world. So your brain is receiving information via your sensory apparatus, via your eyes, your ears, touch, etc., um, and that uses that to basically test how its model's working. Can it make good predictions about you know what what should happen next, uh, that kind of thing? So when you enter the DMT world, whether the DMT world is a a pure hallucination, right, has no relationship to any kind of external world. Uh, or if it is, in fact, allowing you to tune into some other reality, either way, the world must be constructed by the brain. Um, you can't experience a world that isn't being constructed by your brain. That's the kind of the first axiom here. So the question is not, is the DMT world built by your brain? It is. The question is, uh, like the normal waking world, is the DMT world being modulated by, is it being tested against? In other world words, uh, is your brain receiving information from this alternate reality uh, that allows it to construct its model? So, so what, what I would suggest is that if DMT is really allowing you to access another reality, what's happening is that DMT is changing the, put it simply, the kind of the patterns of neural activity in the brain that allows your brain then to receive information, uh, kind of gates the flow of information um, that the brain normally has no access to. And so that's really the question here is, is how does DMT allow your brain to receive information from that reality directly such that it can actually start to build a model of that, that DMT space? Does that make sense? It kind of sounds like DMT is the software and our brain in this reality is the only hardware that is able to fully compute the software. Does that sound about correct? 
Yeah, I think you're kind of you're on the right lines. The 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 neural circuitry that we that we possess is really like the hardware. This is the machinery that is going to construct the reality. You know, DMT itself is just a molecule, but it's it's a it's a particular pattern, if you like, of information that you that you inject into the brain. So it's exactly like a piece of software. Uh, and once it's in the brain, then it expresses itself by manipulating the the hardware, the, the neural machinery, the the neural circuitry that allows it to construct this, begin constructing, stop constructing the normal waking reality, and begin constructing this this alternate reality. So yeah, the, the software hardware analogy works quite well, I think. Now, in your book, you talk about human beings being in this game. And having to work our way up the levels until we get out or uh, complete the game and enter the reality that we see through DMT. What is the purpose of having this game in the first place? I frame the idea of, of a game. I, I, it's a little bit playfully, I think, the idea of a game. And the idea that kind of the basic premise of the book is that Our reality, our kind of universe, if you like, is this slice, uh, a lower dimensional slice of a much larger and more complex higher dimensional structure uh, in the same way that a two-dimensional chessboard, for example, uh, could be a single slice of a cubic um, structure. Uh, I, I fundamentally see reality as a kind of a game. I, I don't take it seriously, so to speak. And, and DMT seems to show you that. It seems to reveal a very, it has a very comical kind of ambiance, as if you're being goaded um, to uh, to push further and, and to uh, to explore this space and to explore the meaning of this space. And it feels like uh, you're part of one vast game and some people have called it a joke and you know, like a cosmic joke of some sort so that's really where the idea of, of it being a game as such came from is the, is the well partly from kind of the ambience of the DMT space now the question you asked here is, is, is a good one and it's not one I can really answer it goes back to kind of basic fundamental questions of why are we here right you know, why are we here and is there is there something else Uh, and it seems to be that we can confront that something else. Since time immemorial, I guess, humans have thought about uh, you know, what else is out there. Are there other intelligences elsewhere in the universe, and are there other universes? And what DMT seems to, to kind of demonstrate, kind of undeniably, uh, is the presence of this um, extreme levels of, of intelligence, old Uh, intelligence in highly complex realities that have no relationship to our reality, uh, ostensibly so at least, um, and that, that seem to be much older, much more complex, much more advanced. Um, and the question is, where are we within all of that? I don't see that, that the DMT space as being completely disjoint and separate from our reality. I think that we are kind of embedded or trapped, if you like, uh, within this thin slice of reality uh, and that DMT is, is the technology, if you like, uh, that allows one to confront this higher dimensional structure. It doesn't really answer your question, is, is why. In the book, I suggest that we, we are an emergent conscious intelligence that emerges through layers of complexity from the fundamental uh, ground of reality, which I posit and many other people have posited 
uh, is basically digital information. And so these patterns of digital information um, complexify, self-complexify and self-organize over many layers of organization. Uh, and at these highest levels of complexity, ultimately, you get the, these emergent um, emergent in, in conscious intelligences, and we are one of those. Uh, and the idea is that there is a high dimensional or hyper-intelligence, if you like, I call it the other in the book, uh, that basically runs this fundamental code um, from which, um, from certain instantiations of this code, um, uh, ultimately, um, conscious intelligences will emerge, uh, and then the game begins, if you like. Going along with your theory, if there is something above us, how do we know there is not something above that and goes on to infinity. How do we know they are the ultimate ones, uh, the gods at the end of the tunnel, if you will? We don't, uh, and that's that's the that's kind of the mystery. I mean, we're certainly above other intelligences um, in our universe. Uh, you know, we can see them all around us. Um, um, but no, there's nothing to suggest that that is the ultimate reality. But um, well, these are the ultimate higher intelligences that we're gaining access to here. Um, but it's it's the intelligence that we have seem to have direct access to. But even within the DMT space, uh, there there seem to be layers and levels, if you like. And there are certainly some beings seem to be much more powerful and more intelligent than others, for example. So I, I make no claims that, that necessarily that DMT is. Um, the ultimate reality, but certainly it seems to be a larger, more complex system than, than we're currently kind of embedded within. Now, people see different types of entities, and though they're presumably above us in terms of uh, this type of intelligence, some of them do appear to be malicious. And going by the very broad assumption that being malicious is bad and being honest is good. Does that mean they are further down the line? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly it's, it's not all sweetness and light in there. And I mean, for people thinking about going into the DMT space, it seems to be extremely safe. You know, nobody's kind of got trapped there or, you know, failed to return or had any kind of permanent damage as far as I'm aware of. Um, there is a lot of, I think, malicious, yes, often extremely um, mischievous kind of tricksterish kind of characters who like to play with your emotions um, um, rather than outright evil. I'm not saying you won't meet outright evil within the DMT space, um, but, but it tends to be, you're more likely to get mocking. People often describe being mocked by, by beings within the space. But at the same time, you're far more likely to meet benevolent uh, guide kind of uh, beings who will show you around and are often extremely excited that you're there uh, and they kind of seem to take great joy and um, uh, pleasure uh, in kind of showing you around this kind of wacky circus that they inhabit. Yeah, the words trickster and playing games were words I was fishing for because to us it may seem a bit mean spirited in a way, but that does appear to be as far as it goes. Using us and non-human animals as examples, there are plenty of humans that like to tease and poke fun at animals with no real evil intent. I mean, there are some with evil intent, but we're leaving those out. They're rare. They're rare, fortunately. Um, yeah, I think it's the same thing. I mean, also there's this Terence McKenna often 
um, kind of speculated that often they might not be fully aware of their own power, if you like, or at least it's like, you know, you don't know your own strength when some kind of muscly guy playfully gives you a, a knock on the jaw and it knocks you out and breaks your jaw. It's like, oh, sorry, I didn't realize I hit you that hard, you know, and it's like, perhaps there is a possibility that often they don't know their limit. So they, they're not quite aware of the effect that it's having on you emotionally. Um, so yeah, you have to be very careful and be, beware in that space and don't, um, don't assume that you're going to be bouncing around with machine owls and having a great time necessarily. Most of the time you will, but, but there is the possibility of more of darker experiences for sure. So it seems that DMT allows an individual to visit these worlds. So is it possible then that some of these entities can travel from those worlds to ours? <laughs> this is a good question. This is a really good question. Um, um, possibly. The question is, um, how would they manifest? And one can speculate about are uh, certain UFOs or you know uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, I think they prefer to call them these days, but uh, or other kind of visions that people have. Are these um, beings that have crossed that threshold and, and been able to kind of... Um, reveal themselves to materialize in some way, um, at least perceptually within our reality. Uh, that's possible. Um, we don't really know. I mean, for the most part, it seems like they're often quite surprised to see us. Um, so I, I don't think we're a major concern uh, for them. You know, they're, they're part of a much more, uh, as I say, a much larger and more complex structure. I, I don't necessarily see us as being like the goldfish bowl where we're constantly being observed by these. I don't get that impression. Uh, I feel like most of the time that we're of absolutely no concern to them. So whether they would be interested or have any, there would be any value uh, or, or interest for them in revealing themselves in our reality, I don't know. But it, it's an open question, basically. In your book, you write that DMT is an intelligence test. Can you explain that a little bit more and has humanity pass this test? Yeah, so earlier I, I spoke about these pharmacological peculiarities of DMT and the fact that it's kind of everywhere. Um, everywhere you look, you know, Dennis McKenna, Terence McKenna's brother's like, uh, brother likes to say that um, nature is drenched in DMT. Um, so it's like this message that's somehow embedded in our reality, um, just waiting for some kind of conscious intelligence to emerge um, that has the requisite cognitive and technological uh, advancement and sophistication to actually identify the technology, i.e. DMT, to isolate it and learn to use it. Uh, and that's not something that, that happens accidentally. Um, DMT is, um, whilst it is ubiquitous in the natural world, uh, you can't just munch on some plants and kind of have a DMT trip, you have to actually, you have to isolate it, you have to purify it, you have to uh, administer it or ingest it in a certain way. You can't simply swallow it, uh, either through injection or vaporization or through the use of these monoamine oxidase inhibitors as in ayahuasca. Uh, so it feels like uh, it's we're basically we're the only species on the planet that is capable of using DMT. Um, now, other plants uh, like magic mushrooms, for example, one can imagine a chimpanzee 
munching on some magic mushrooms and uh, and having a trip or uh, on some uh, mescaline containing cacti um these are all reasonable uh but DMT requires this high level of intelligence that only humans possess so that's how i see it as an intelligence test uh, and that there's no other species that could use the the technology on on earth at least uh, than humans um so we kind of we we have we passed the test um i think we are uh, we are taking the test because we are it's not just about identifying dmt and learning to use it as such but also developing it as a tool for um um for communication for visitation with this other space and that's and again because of these un- unusual pharmacological peculiarities of dmt and that it, it only lasts normally for a few minutes um the usual mo- modes of administration simply kind of bolus injection in in the veins or vaporization in a glass pipe they only kind of allow you kind of brief sojourn within the dmt space you kind of poke your head through into that world and then you're kind of popped out again very very quickly and so so part of the, the technological development of DMT is in is is in uh, uh, developing these techniques for administration which is why I started working with Rick Strassman back in 2016 to develop this target controlled intravenous infusion technology which will allow you to maintain a stable concentration of DMT in the brain over time so that you can bring someone into the DMT space and then hold them there uh, indefinitely and again DMT is kind of set up for this because it is very short acting it doesn't have tolerance so in theory if you keep the, the brain concentration uh, of DMT over time in someone's brain then um, they you can hold them within the space without them developing tolerance or without them um, blacking out or without concentrations kind of going wild or anything like that so so yeah it feels like it it's perf- the DMT molecule is kind of perfectly designed and I, again I'm not saying it's designed but it feels like that it feels like it's perfectly um, made to to be developed as a technology I don't think that it's just in the last few years that the infusion idea popped up. Uh, we see it in FDA-approved treatments like ketamine infusion therapy, for example. So this idea must have been bouncing around for a while, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so the idea of um, kind of uh, an intravenous drip is often how it's described, but used to be described. The idea that you can, and people have claimed to have done it back in the, way back in the kind of the 70s, I think. The idea of, of, of constantly um, um, infusing DMT into the veins, but but what's different uh, about what uh, Rick Strassman and myself developed is the idea of target-controlled intravenous infusions, and this is actually using um, the technology developed for anesthesiology, where you, the aim is to maintain a stable concentration of, of an anesthetic drug in the brain over time uh, by having a, a a mathematical model of the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of the, the drug within the brain and the body uh, and uh, applying that to DMT. So it, it's like um, it's taking a kind of a vague idea um, and actually developing it in a, in a much more kind of formal way. Um, so that was really the, 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 the progression, if you like, from these, these ideas. But yes, it has been tried uh, back in 2000 and, Oh, was it 2005? Maybe 
there was a team um, that did both DMT and ketamine infusions over time, but they they ran into some problems in that the patients were dropping out because of the, the, the experience was becoming far too intense for them because it wasn't a mathematically, uh, it wasn't informed by this pharmacokinetic model. Um, so we're basically trying to, to, to really develop that into, into something much um, uh, much more precise and accurate um, than what's been tried before. Yeah, I can imagine it's one of those things where it's not a uh, one-size-fits-all model. How would you be monitoring it? Are you going to be watching brainwaves? So, so this is actually already being done by the team at Imperial College London. So it's probably the, the foremost psychedelic research group in the world, in my opinion, um, certainly in human studies, human neuroimaging studies. And yes, they are actually in the early stages. They have a handful of volunteers, I think, um, who are already undergoing, I think at the moment, like 30-minute infusions. Um, so they've used a uh, this kind of model, this target-controlled intravenous infusion technology, uh, and they're starting um, conservatively, so to speak. So um, they're not um, sending someone into the space for hours at a time, which would be my ultimate aim, I think. Uh, but no, at the moment, it's it's 30 minutes, I think, um, relatively low dose, just to check that the, the, the technology actually works as expected, and then you move from there. It's kind of baby steps, I think. Um, it's not something that one would advise diving into. I don't suggest anyone goes out and buys a, an infusion device and starts infusing DMT. Now, I was introduced to the topic of DMT in late 2009, early 2010. And I remember back then, there was one term that seemed to go hand-in-hand hand with DMT, and that's the pineal gland. However, as listeners have probably noticed, this term has not come up in this conversation, and it is not mentioned in your book. Can you tell me why the pineal gland was not mentioned? Does it not play a role in the DMT experience after all? Uh, I don't think, I'm not convinced uh, at all that the pineal gland has any role in, uh, in DMT. There's, the pineal has this long and kind of interesting exotic history in mysticism and is thought once thought to be the kind of the seat of consciousness and all this kind of stuff. And we've kind of dragged these rather outdated ideas in, and tried to kind of shoehorn them into the DMT experience. And people still hold on to the idea that you, when you go to bed at night, your brain, the, the pineal gland floods your brain with DMT and that causes dreaming that when you die, it increases even more and you, you're fired off into the DMT space permanently. Uh, but but the, the pineal gland, we know what the pineal gland does. It, it secretes melatonin. Uh, it's evolved in, it's important in the sleep-wake cycle. Um, there's no evidence that it produces high concentrations of DMT at any time. There's no evidence that it, it would be even capable. I mean, it produces nanograms of very, very small quantities of melatonin. It, it's a very small gland. It's not set up to be flooding the brain with 20, 30, 40 milligrams of DMT uh, at any at any point in time. Um, and people who um, have their pineal gland removed, you know, they're not. They don't become unconscious. They're not ripped from this reality. They uh, they continue to dream and all this kind of stuff. It, you know, the pineal gland is is is. Um, is a small, interesting, but not, I don't think, particularly pertinent gland when it comes to DMT. But I think it's, it's just been one of these myths, um, if you like, that's been propagated via the, um, via the internet. 
Yeah, I think as time has gone on, and with people like you doing research, we're learning a lot more. Uh, it's becoming less mystical or mysterious as science begins to shine a light on some of the unknown aspects of DMT, which I think is great. Now, in the final chapter of your book, and I know we mentioned it earlier, you talk about this being a game or the game, and it's made up of six levels. We're not going to go through all these one by one. I actually want to encourage the listeners to get a copy of your book because it's packed full of information, but I will list the six levels. Level one, information. Level two, emergence. Level three, transmission. Level four, immersion. Level five, realization. And level six, resolution. And I love how you describe level six of resolution. And if I may quote you, you mm. wrote, once resolution is achieved, we will continue to exist as entities inside the hypergrid. And when voyagers of its lower dimensional slices burst into our marvelous hyperdimensional domain, we will be amongst the thronging elfin crowds cheering and welcoming them home. Reading that obviously makes you wonder. In your book, you mentioned people experience this sense of deja vu when they arrive at the DMT world, like they've been there before. Personally, in my limited experiences, the best way I can describe it is it felt like I was home. So mm. is this where we come from and where we will go? Is this a sort of heaven? And as you mentioned earlier, when we were talking about the code and you call them the other when referring to the authors of this code, is this the place where a God type entity dwells? Um, that's the impression I get as well. The, the sense that you are arriving in a place that is unspeakably strange, unspeakably bizarre. Uh, and yet there is this profound sense of deja vu, this unshakable sense of having been there before. Uh, and the entities often will welcome you back with great celebratory uproar. No, he's returned, you know, and it's, uh, and, and that's hard to shake that sense. And that is certainly part of the inspiration for, for the kind of the teleology, if you like, of the book and that where, where does it lead to? And that, that is kind of the ultimate end in that, yeah, perhaps we, did we come from the DMT space and then experience our reality temporarily as a kind of game? Um, you know, we, I mean, even in the modern world, we like to escape reality temporarily in virtual reality worlds, and then we come back. Now, imagine escaping into a virtual reality world where you're there for so long and it, you're so immersed within it that you actually forget that you were once a human. And that happens as well with DMT. You often lose any concept of ever be, having been a human. So, you know, imagine that, you know, it's not so far from where we are technologically to do that with virtual reality. Um, so imagine that, right? You go, you go into one of these virtual reality booths or something, you put on this headset, full body gear, you, you're, you're, you're burst into this entirely novel uh, virtual domain for a while. And then you forget that you are human and you kind of live out some kind of life within that space. Uh, and then you come back and it's like, oh, 
um, you're kind of shaken and shocked to be back in the the real world, your human world. Um, but there's a great sense of familiarity there. So perhaps it could be something like that, and that we do that our life is a very temporary um, sojourn within um, this weird little um, three-dimensional space that we call the real world, and that in fact we are destined to return to the um, the DMT realms from whence we came, perhaps. Um, that's speculation, interesting speculation, uh, but whether it's actually true, I guess we'll find out one day. Right, absolutely, that seems to be the case. Like I said at the top of the show, in the first half of the book, you give us the science and how our brain works and processes information. And in the second half of the book, we really take a deep dive into how DMT affects the brain. Even the way your book is laid out, I really wanted to get a physical copy because it's very complementary with all the graphics and visuals you include. And I almost have to wonder, were you given, quote unquote, <laughs> this uh, information? It's a very interesting way of presenting a very, very complex topic. Yeah, in the introduction to the book, I write that I'm not I'm not 100% sure where the book came from. Um, you know, when I look at the book now, it's like, you know, how did I produce that? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to uh, big myself up or anything. But yeah, it's a, it, the book kind of emerged. I incubated an idea, if you like, over over a couple of decades and developed it. And, it. and it kind of fell together into this narrative, which I then put together in as clear and coherent and cogent manner as I could. Um, uh, um, yeah, so so I, I certainly don't claim that it's divine inspiration. I'm not one of these David um, Wilcock types who claims to be channeling aliens or something like that right. you know, I, it's my own vision of reality that i've constructed um based you know, based upon yes it's, it's got a, a foot in in modern neuroscience and, and physics and, and and all of that stuff and pharmacology uh but it is a it is a narrative you know i'm trying to create a, a coherent vision of reality and so there's a lot of speculation in there and everything is smoothed out to create something that is does read like uh, i call it a textbook from the future imagine if this was true a hundred percent you know what would a textbook from the future look like it was describing the nature of our reality and i I kind of imagine it might look something like the book that i've uh, written how are your thoughts and theories received by your peers and colleagues yeah, I mean, I can only go on the feedback that I get. Most people, the vast majority, I would say ninety percent, uh, I get very positive feedback, and I've, you know, I've got very positive feedback from major thinkers in the field. Um, Ralph Abraham wrote me a very nice email. Ralph Abraham, of course, the chaos mathematician who um, did some very interesting had some very interesting conversation with Terence McKenna and Rupert Sheldrake back in the day, Trialogues at the Edge of the West, I think they were called. Um, he wrote me a very nice email, said he was, he was he found it fascinating and very interesting. He had no bad thing to say. I've had messages from mathematicians and scientists and um, you know other people uh, in this kind of psychedelic field that find it very interesting. I think you know, if you, you have to be careful how you see the book. If you think that I am claiming to have found, as I said, the ultimate truth of some kind, then you're going to see me as being a bit of a, a crackpot, and reasonably so. 
uh, but I'm not. Uh, I, I do state in the introduction, if people actually read the introduction first, please do. You'll, you'll get the correct view of actually what the book is. It's not an ideological position that I've developed here. This is just my own personal vision of reality. It's the idea is to kind of generate questions like what really is our reality? You know, where are we? You know, where did we come from? Where are we going? What is our relationship to um, the larger structure of reality? And kind of invite those kind of questions and invite speculation and invite ultimately experiments and uh, research into into that kind of thing. So, so mainly it, it, it's positive because people take it with with a, a very large pinch of salt. Everything that I'm saying, because I am quite playful about it, I do admit that it is largely a lot of it is is, is very much my own imagination and speculation. Um, so w- one of the reviewers referred to it. So it's, it's not science fiction; it's fictionalized science. It's not sci-fi; it's fi-sci. So I created a new genre there. Uh, Fisi. Uh, it reads like a textbook. It reads like a work of um, non-fiction. You know, uh, one of these popular science books that someone like Brian Greene or Lawrence Krauss might write. I am filling in a lot of gaps here and making um, assumptions and using my imagination a lot as well. That is a great way to describe it, and I'm glad to hear the feedback you received has been so positive. Do you have plans for a follow-up to alien information theory? Yeah, yeah. My next book is actually a little bit different. My next book is uh, Reality Switch Technologies, which is um, looking at psychedelics more um, more broadly, not just DMT, but uh, psychedelics as these technologies for altering um, to basically manipulating our reality channel, to exploring the what I call the world space, or the space of all possible realities that our brain can construct and how we might manipulate that and effectively become citizens of not just one reality, but of, of countless, basically. But that's to come. Not published yet. To circle back around to a term we used earlier, so it would be about exploring different softwares in a way. Precisely, yeah. So you can think of different psychedelic, different molecules as being different, different software that you, the DMT is one example, a very good example, and there are others as well. You know, ketamine would fit into that. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to interview Jim Mars, the great author. He wrote some great books, uh, Rest in Peace. And I remember talking to him at the time, just telling him how it felt like we were in a bit of a repeat of the 60s, if you will, in the sense that we've been involved in these unpopular wars, racial issues are at an all-time high, and psychedelics are becoming uh, mainstream, similarly like we saw in the 60s and part of the 70s. So with so many people being interested and DMT being talked about so much in various circles, what advice would you give someone who is thinking about trying it for the first time or they've tried it before and want to go deeper? Well, I mean, DMT is not difficult to procure. Um, I'd always suggest if someone wants to try it that they that they produce it themselves, uh, i.e., I mean, you can... I mean, first of all, the caveat that you're you're probably going to be breaking the law depending on where you are in the world. So it's don't do it. However, if you're going to, that would be what I would suggest: would procure the the root bark. Uh, and there are you know many forums now on the internet, you know, very very kind of dedicated and often quite talented underground chemists that have developed 
very simple techniques that anyone can do in their kitchen for extracting DMT in, in, a, in a relatively pure form, very, very easily in a few hours. Uh, and then to um, to start slowly. Um, so there are a number of ways you can administer it. Don't be playing around with injecting. Um, the the most common technique is you just use a small glass pipe, basically a crack pipe, basically, um, that you, you, you weigh out your DMT and you need a, you can buy, um, scales now that will go down to milligram level. You need one of those, a set of those scales. You can buy those for $20 or something. Um, and yeah, start with 10 milligrams, uh, and move up and go slowly. Um, you know, you need a, um, uh, either on your own or with, with one other person, I would probably suggest. Um, this is not a party drug. This is something to be done in a quiet room, dimly lit room, on a bed probably, so you can lie down, um, empty your lungs, you heat the, the DMT gently, um, inhale, hold it in, um, pass the pipe to someone with you so you don't burn the house down because you might well be transported out of your reality in very, very, uh, in very short order. Right. Um, and, and, um, you know, respect it, you know, don't, don't play around with it. It is a, it is a, these are extremely bizarre domains to which you're being granted access by this molecule. Uh, and don't necessarily expect it's going to be, um, sweetness and, and light and benevolent beings that you might encounter difficulties, but you have to, um, trust in your own, uh, trust your own nervous system, so to speak. It's not a dangerous drug. You're not going to die. You're not going to go insane. Um, it might feel like it. Um, it will be astonishing. You will be shaken to the very core of your being by it. And if you get a good hit, um, but it is, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, a remarkable experience that I think that everyone should have, um, at some point in their life. And you, you really don't know what you're missing. <laughs> you, you, it's not possible for you to know what you're missing if you've never taken DMT. It's, it's not possible for you to imagine the kind of spaces to which you will be, um, you, you will reach uh, and that you will be exploring with this molecule. Um, so yeah, there, there are other modes of administration. People like to, in the, in the very modern era, to dissolve the DMT in this e-liquid and these uh, electronic vape mods that people use for vaping. Um, that's very popular now. So you can actually, it's, it's safer. Uh, you can control it uh, much more. So people, you can take a small hit and then take a hit more. You don't have to worry about open flames and all this kind of stuff. You're burning it. Um, that's not a concern. So I think, yeah, I, you know, I welcome this kind of, uh, this kind of, these kind of advancements that are happening uh, on the underground, if you like, within within these internet forums, people sharing ideas of what's the best way to use DMT, uh, and I think um, yeah, these these vape mods um, are a, a really nice advancement uh, for the somebody who wants to get into using uh, DMT. But I wouldn't buy ready-made. Um, vape pens full of DMT because you don't know what's in them. You don't know it's DMT. You don't know what the liquid is. So, uh, always, you know, avoid the black market, so to speak, as, as much as you can because you really don't know what you're buying. And you know, do you have DMT in there? Is it 5-methoxy DMT? Is it some other analog that they purchased from China? You just don't know. So try as much as you can to be kind of self-sufficient um, it's not difficult uh, in this age uh, to do that uh, and uh, tread carefully.
And a reminder to people that you're not really actually smoking it. It's more like uh, freebasing it, correct? Yeah, you're vaporizing it. If, you, if you're smoking it, then you've burned it. Uh, when you heat it up, you should get uh, kind of a, uh, a thick white vapor or yellowy white vapor. If, if that's what you're getting, then, you, then you, you're right. If it's, kind of a, if it's clearly gray, dirty smoke, then you've burned the DMT and that's not going to have any effect on you. And you're going to cough more. Uh, you're much less likely to get a good amount of actual DMT in your bloodstream and in your brain. So, um, so there is a kind of a knack to it uh, in, in getting a, a, a good a good hit of DMT. It's not that straightforward. So persevere. So, folks, don't go and sprinkle it into your joints. All right. <laughs> yeah, these kind of things. So, sprinkling it into a joint is a terrible idea. Most of it will be destroyed uh, at the cherry at the end. As the the air is passing through the joint, you might heat some up and actually vaporize it successfully. But it's no, you want to be getting uh, as much DMT into your body as quickly as possible, or well, not quite as much as possible, but as quickly you know, the amount of DMT that you've chosen to consume—ten milligrams, twenty milligrams, thirty milligrams for kind of forty milligrams for a breakthrough dose—you want to get that into your lungs. Uh, as efficiently and as cleanly and as quickly as possible. You don't want to be mixing it in a joint or even mixing it with, I mean, some people like to mix it with cannabis. It depends on your own personal uh, mileage. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think it's a particularly nice mix, but then, uh, you know, me and cannabis aren't, you know, we don't get on that well anyway. So up to the individual. But I would recommend pure freebase DMT, a small glass pipe, yeah, and a, a, a good quality torch lighter. Don't use one of these, um, yellow flame lighters because they tend to they produce a lot of soot and they they obscure your vision basically of doing there if you tickle the, the, the glass pipe with one of these blue flame jet flame torch whatever they call them lighters um, then you can you know very delicately just tickle it see it bubble and see it start to vaporize and then avoid burning it Andrew the title of the book is Alien Information Theory psychedelic drug technologies and the cosmic game where can people pick up a copy of this great book and uh, where can they follow and keep up with you on social media yeah so the obvious first choice is of course amazon if you go to amazon alien information theory you will find it there there's the hardback or the softback or there's a kindle version as well um it is a it's a print replica so it has all the color images as well so it won't work on your regular kindle you have to put it on an ipad or something like that uh alternatively you can go to my website buildingalienworlds.com um which has not only a link to my book and the first chapter is there to download so people can have a look at you know what they're getting into um, there's also a, an audio of me reading the first chapter. There's also links to all of my papers and articles and interviews uh, uh, and presentations, lectures, that kind of thing that I've done. So, yeah, that's basically where I am based on the Internet, buildingalienworlds.com. And, of course, to keep up to date with me on a more day-to-day -day basis, Alien Insect is my handle on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much, Andrew. This has been an amazing time. I think a lot of people will find this to say interesting will be an understatement. I want to encourage people to grab a copy of your book as soon as they can if they're interested in learning more about this. Personally, it helped me understand a lot more about what happens when we ingest DMT and where we go sometimes when we're on DMT. So thank you so much for joining us and being so gracious with your time. I really appreciate it. Okay, fabulous. Thank you.
That was Dr. Andrew Gallimore, author of this amazing book, Alien Information Theory, Psychedelic Drug Technologies, and the Cosmic Game. Make sure you pick up a copy, whether it's on Amazon or his website. And as he mentioned, uh, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Alien Insect. The topic of DMT is definitely worth exploring. If this is your first time hearing about it, definitely um, I recommend the uh, book by Dr. Rick Strassman, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. Uh, we got a chance to interview Dr. Strassman some years ago. Uh, you can find that on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash WOTR radio. Also on our website, WOTRradio.com. And there's also a documentary that goes along with that book that I uh, encourage people to check out. And I look forward to Dr. Gallimore's next book. It sounds very interesting. And I think that DMT is one of these next great frontiers that humanity is going to have to uh, explore to understand our place in this universe. In my humble opinion, I want to thank you all for listening. If you caught the uh, podcasted version of this show on YouTube, make sure you leave me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are, what your own experiences have been. What do you make of this whole DMT situation? I love hearing other people's experiences. If you prefer to uh, subscribe on Amazon Music, make sure you do that. We've had a really good response ever since we got on Amazon Music, so I want to thank everyone who's listening to us through there. If you're catching this show on iTunes or uh, one of these other podcast services, thank you very much. That being said, take care, be safe, God bless, don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next week. Until then, bye-bye. West of the Rockies with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM, Los Angeles.